0: Hello everyone, welcome to A Sentient Future, where we live intentionally. Last week, Kurt Smock, over from the Living With Kurt channel, uh, was kind enough to interview me. Uh, The interview is about a half an hour long, and I thought I'd line it up for you here. Thanks very much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Take care.
1: Welcome to Life With Kurt, where together we are hacking the human existence. And what an existence it is. You know if you are listening to me right now and you're walking around you're listening to podcasts live 2018 you are one of the luckiest people to have ever lived in all of human history all of human history of all the times of all the places of all segments of the universe that you could have been born and lived through this is it if you are alive and you are healthy you have so much to be grateful for of course Good things happen, bad things happen. There's ups, there's downs. But at the end of the day, we're grateful. And I have something to be extremely grateful about today. I get to interview Mr. Allen, the man, the myth, the legend from Sentient Future. And man, if I sound fired up, it's because I am. It was amazing. Truth bombs all day long. Let me tell you, 30-minute interview. It's coming up next. Give it a listen. Hop over there to the Sentient Future channel on the Anchor app or anywhere you can find a podcast, and jump in there down all the way to episode one. Block out some exclusive time, get a pen and paper, and listen up through those episodes. They're short, they're sweet, they're to the point, so it's not going to take a lifetime by any means, but you're going to get so much out of it, and I hope you get a lot out of this interview. I know I did. He's a man that I said it before on this station, I really, really respect And share this segment out, because what Alan is doing is an amazing service to all humanity. He really has a brilliant mind, sharp, clear thinking, and you're going to love it. I know I did. It's recording with friends uh, here on Anchor, and you know how that can be. So it actually did come out really, really well, but there are some hiccups. So as long as we can get by those, you're going to have a great time today. Thanks so much for stopping by the station. Make sure you favorite. And listen through the Sentient Future channel. I'll talk to you guys on the other side. Let's get on with the show.
0: Hi, Kurt. Hello. Can you hear me?
1: I can hear you, my friend. How are you? Wonderful. Hey, thanks so much for... Uh, blocking out the time for me I really am excited to interview you because I have questions we've I've been following you for a long time I know we've been following each other for quite a while we have yeah but there's still a lot of things that I was super curious about and I thought maybe others might be as well so first of all you're you are sentient future but you're you're, you're also Alan a real human being I'm, real, um, I'm a real human being yep <laughs> <laughs> So I was wondering if you would do, the, the, do us the honor of the traditional origin story of how you got started in, this, um, in the Sentient Future project and, and how intentional living has played a role in your life throughout it. And you can start at any point that you think is, uh, is interesting.
0: Okay. Uh, I guess brief educational background for a frame of reference. Um, so I, I am a professional engineer. I'm in Vancouver, Canada. I did my MBA a few years ago as well. That was relevant to my sort of engineering consulting uh, career that I've had so far, first decade or so of my career. So I'm in my early to mid-30s now, for reference. Two years ago, my children were born, and I am now a full-time dad. Uh, So I resigned from my full-time consulting role. I still operate part-time. Uh, To raise my children. Uh, So I'm fortunate to be in that position to have that opportunity. And so I'm making the most of it That's my first priority The question came to me of well What do I want my career the rest of my career to look like because the first part of it had been quite fulfilling and Had been in line with my interests But was there anything that I could do? To create even more value for people in the balance of my career that was that much more in line with my passions and my skill set and what other people um, valued? So that's really where I was coming at it from. Now, so after about four months of, of really soul-searching, frankly, and, and iterating upon iterating uh, towards what I thought met was the right intersection between those things, uh, I ultimately uh, thought that I could bring life coaching um, experience and expertise to, to people and uh, small organizations, but from the quantitative perspective, um, recognizing that certainly there are qualitative elements that matter a lot we've got uh, you know beauty and emotion and that kind of thing and those matter absolutely in equal measure with things like reason and, and anything quantitative or tangible but uh, you know I hadn't yet seen really people with the a quantitative skill set provide the balance that I thought was helpful in um, you know in helping people achieve a fulfilling life so so for me personally um, I, I have my own I have my own personal goals, which I'm, I'm happy to share, and is is really my why. But the, you know, that was really the the origin of sentient future as a as an idea. The brand name and everything has its own origin story. But you know, that's really how I came to the conclusion that this is what I wanted to do with my uh, with my career and with my life. That's awesome. That's really cool. So you decided
1: to become an engineer. It was that. Was that something that was from the family or was that something of your of your specific just, you know, natural gift ability? How did you get
0: drawn into that
1: and what kind of engineering did you do? For
0: sure. So um, no one in my family is an engineer. Uh, my dad was a businessman um, and my my mom was a teacher. And so I, are you familiar? You must be familiar with the Dilbert cartoons, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, okay. yeah. So I'm not sure if you ever watched the animated series. There was a couple of short clips. Um, this was maybe a decade ago that, that those kind of came out.
1: Mm, no, I haven't. No, I haven't seen the clips. Okay. Only the only the old newspaper. You know, back when they sent newspapers out. And yeah. there were these paper things that landed on the door. Like, that was the only time I saw Tilbury. <laughs> yeah,
0: for, for sure. So, so, yeah. so, uh, I don't I, know what happened. Newspaper things, I, I relay but... this message only because I, I think it'll make people smile but there is a one of those animated shorts that I encourage people to watch because it's only a few minutes long but uh Dilbert's mom brings Dilbert into the doctor when he's a kid uh and basically is describing his symptoms of wanting to open things up and play with them and rebuild them and fix them and that kind of stuff as a young child um <laughs> and uh the doctor treats his uh Propensity, I guess, as a, as a condition. And it says, I'm sorry to tell you this, uh, Mrs. Dilbert, um, but your son has what we call the knack. You know, it, it's incurable. I, I apologize, but I, I must inform you, your, your child is likely to become an engineer. oh yeah Yeah. that's right you know the doctor
1: probably had to look down at the at this the patient and tell him the same thing because you know it's a blessing and a curse being an engineer you're Uh, gifted at figuring everything out but you can't necessarily figure everything out and that can be maddening
0: uh yep yeah it, it, it can and so um you know it was pretty clear i think just from my own um you know my own interest and the like that that's where I was going to end up professionally, at least in the first part of my career. And frankly, I see it now in my son, who knows how that'll turn out, but it's really funny to see as a parent now. So naturally I think that that's where I, where I fit in now. um, You know, growing up though, did try to learn how to teach as it were, and did try to learn what it meant to be, you know, a a decent person and (laughs) how to make friends and and influence people (laughs) as it were. Right. So I have had a few opportunities to, to manage teams of people who are, in many respects, a lot older than I am. Um, And what that has meant is that I've grown in sort of an empathy side and sort of an emotional intelligence side. It is, those are areas that I continue to grow in. I mean, I don't think I'll ever stop growing in those or other areas, but I I think that the the variety of experience has been able to provide me with um, a broad background with which to approach this life coaching space. And um, to answer your question, although I don't know if it's, it's super relevant, but the, the type of engineering I went through was, it's called engineering physics. Um, and it's it's basically got, it's, it's somewhat multidisciplinary. It has a strong math foundation. And then we, ha- we get exposure to um, mechanical and electrical and computer engineering. Um, so that helped with, I think, my understanding and mastery really of what you would call um, first principles. And understanding first principles allows me to combine different principles from different fields to customize a solution in these sort of different arenas. So that, that's where, I'm, that's the perspective I'm coming at things from.
1: Yeah, I think it's a fascinating place, you know, I mean, talking just about the typical engineer, right? And they're often not people, people, and they don't normally have that affinity towards human behavior and, and tend to prefer the things that can just be basically quantified, things like numbers and so on. You know, I mean, obviously there's that whole stigma out there, but I think it's very fascinating that you as an engineer had really um, taken this uh, unique perspective uh, from that uh, engineering mindset to human behavior. Is that something that there was a moment? Is there Was there a moment where – the sentient worldview became a pursuit or did it evolve and you just just at one point mapped it out what you had already kind of had in place
0: uh you know it's interesting right so i'd say it was more so the formalizing of ways that i'd maybe subconsciously operated myself for a long time now i'm certainly not in i'm not interested in um, you know, changing any what anyone else values or imparting my values on others—that that's not where I'm coming from. My 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 interest is solely helping people live according to what they do value um, as individuals, right? So, from that perspective, and, and recognizing just even the even the tangible benefits of teamwork, and not just the nice, warm, fuzzy feeling stuff—it always frustrated me when people let their differences. Um, prevent them from collaborating in any sort of way it just doesn't make mathematical sense never mind that you know not being like a, a nice person thing so so what I, would, I guess I was searching for and what I think I've found right is a way to look at living life that is uh, it, it is values independent right uh, that it is really around the process of how we live according to our values than it is the values themselves so um, and I think in that process, we can find uh, a lot of common ground right if we can uh, if we can understand that someone is operating or that they are making certain decisions or, or they're acting in a particular way because of how they feel and we're empathetic to how they feel uh in you know combined with maybe some of the logical rationale they have for for it right because we we kind of make decisions that are maybe both left and right brained that you know, we can better understand other people and we can identify similarities and shared goals and work on them together. And in doing that, right, we get division of responsibilities, we get efficiency because everyone's working on their strengths, right? And the outcome is ultimately better for both us as a collective, as well as us as individuals. So the lovely part about this is that, you know, I can show from a like a, a, a math standpoint, if you want, um, that the most selfish behavior is equal to the most selfless behavior they both revolve around empathy and giving to other people. Um, both of them, you know, result in uh, the sort of the optimal outcome for, uh, for us as individuals and, uh, and as a society. So um, it's really that type of realization I'm, I'm hoping to get across to people.
1: Absolutely, you know, and um, I think it's really interesting how, um, and it, it's, it's wonderful how the idea of uh, emotional intelligence has really started to gain uh, traction, and not just you know the self-improvement world, but like it's literally being uh, taught and implemented in corporate structures and in areas of of the world where um, you know increased empathy uh, is tied directly to increased functionality or better functionality. But the one thing I would, I have a question is, as far as empathy is concerned, do you feel that empathy is, is antithetical to the nature of the human being that we are generally self-focused in terms of our own wants and needs? Or do you feel that it's just something that's latent inside of each of us? And I don't mean to frame it up necessarily as an or thing. You could throw an and in there too. Um, but, you know, it, do, you, do you feel like the idea of being able to be empathetic and to be neutral? Because that's one big thing about sentient worldview that is significant is that it's extraordinarily neutral versus dogmatic, which is what most most other worldviews position themselves to be. Yep. Is that antithetical to uh, human nature as, as it presently stands, or is it just a latent thing that needs to be uh, nurtured and developed?
0: So it's really interesting you bring that up, right? So I, I think that when there are values that are concerned, um, when we we look at what it is that we value, uh, what will often happen or what has, I think, traditionally happened in the human race is you end up with tribes, right? You end up with uh, people that are in different camps, whether it's politically, whether it's different religious affiliations, whether it's in corporate environments, so on and so forth, right? And um, that creates this us-versus-them mentality, right? even if maybe you share quite a bit in common. And frankly, 99.9% of our DNA is all, is all identical. Um, I, I think, you know, and with 97% of our DNA is like, uh, you know, is tied to, you know, some, you know, close animals and stuff like that. So we have just so much more in common than, than we do have, than we have different. And so the way that I, I'm looking at that is, yes, I think our human nature is this we we need this feeling of belonging right i am not saying we don't of course we do um but i'm trying to change the perspective a little bit in that we don't need to believe or we don't need to belong to the smallest tribe you know to which we kind of fit in but what about what if we took the perspective of belonging first and foremost to the largest tribe that we huh. are a part of right and that that is really you know in, in my personal opinion, those that are sentient right And so that is a you know that's humans it's a lot of the animal kingdom. Um, there are some animals that you know it's a, it's a sort of a gray area and there's some that I think scientists have uh, you know more or less just um, accepted that that they aren't right And so um, that comes down to the ability to subjectively feel pleasure and pain and the reason why I think that is an appropriate, social construct or boundary around um sort of the the larger tribe to which we can be a part of which we can be a part is because then that potentially starts talking about um either moral responsibility or at least a consideration right of how what we do impacts all those who can feel pleasure and pain right And, uh, you know, your morality can be centered on whatever it is that you choose it, you know, want it to be. Because, again, I'm not about imparting my moral values or or values on anyone. But it's that, you know, those that um, we might consider to be of concern uh, are those who basically realize they are affected or feel the impact of our behaviors. Right. Um, So, I think that it it doesn't yeah I've tried to be careful to not contradict human nature because if I think I if we tried to I think it would just fall flat on its face it's really to work with human nature uh, in a way that is dare I say more cooperative (laughs) Um, you know and yes of course we've got differences with some people more so than others But what that means is we don't necessarily need to be their best friends. We don't need to associate with them, you know, greatly. But what it does mean is that we can kind of ignore those differences or maybe focus solely on on our similarities and the shared values and the shared goals and then just pursue those um, and then leave the rest of it out of of the discussion. It makes
1: a lot of sense. I got onto this Dan Millman character he's written a whole ton of books and and this is just an aside I guess uh, see what your comment would be on it one of his big philosophies is that idea of living in the present but he has an interesting way of presenting it in that he says to paraphrase it you know rather than placing relational expectations between maybe you and your boss or maybe uh, you and a spouse or or you and a a, a mom or a dad yeah. rather than placing expectations on that, but that living in the moment is that everything that is just is and that we can just be comfortable with that, like whether it is a violation of our expectations, and that you know it it's kind of like it's almost empathy through just plain acceptance of um of of the state of affairs, especially as it pertains to the things outside of your control.
0: I think there's a lot of uh, health, maybe, in a viewpoint like that. Uh, there are some some things I, I think I'll qualify around it. But the the nice thing about that view is that you know, first and foremostly, there is acceptance. Right? There is acceptance of certain realities. There is acceptance of you know, how it is that we feel and how other people feel. It's, it's not colored by or, you know, we don't try to, we don't try to reject it simply because we don't want it to be the case. Right? We just realize it as being the case. (laughs) Right? um, You know, and from the sentient worldview standpoint, really, there are those six scales, but they're broken up into three steps, right? There's the sense, there's sensing, there's interpreting, and there's responding. It's it's being comfortable with just sensing things again for what they are, uh, interpreting them um, again for what they are and, and what you're going to do about them. So it, it's kind of a nice shortcut way to focus on only that which we can control, which is maybe the present and or the future uh, as opposed to necessarily dwelling on the past or being um, upset about it. Now that's not to say that we can't and shouldn't have you know emotional and emotional response to these things i think we we can and we should um but there isn't like that second layer of being upset that we are upset or being upset that someone else is upset right it's just it's just dealing with the first layer of okay someone is upset i've done these things um here here's how i can repair it uh, i i want to fully understand where they're coming from so i i can understand there being some efficiency to just that acceptance of, of reality uh, and uh, of the moment. Now, as far as living in the, in the present moment is concerned, in my personal view, you know, we don't want to accept all things as fact um, simply because it's easy or or to think that because they are fact now that they always need to remain fact, right? So as far as progress is concerned, whether it's societally or technologically or so on and so forth, it's generally coming from people who question what we what we think we know, Mm -hmm. or at least the established um, norms. So I think in in the living in the present moment is, I think one thing, but as we look to what we want to do in the future, we don't necessarily take everything that is fact now as being uh, necessary, or being given. Right. So, so there's definitely yeah. a slight difference depending on the time frame that you have uh, in mind at the moment.
1: I think, honestly, one of the greatest contributions that Gary Vaynerchuk has made to the universe is just how he talks out of both sides of his mouth and he has that kind of his, his, what he likes to call his thesis and one of them being both. I think that just, you know, the, the universe is suspended in balance between opposing forces. So, I mean, you gotta definitely have both in, in almost like, right? Because blind acceptance could easily lead you down just into a straight cycle of pain. Um, whereas, you know, uh, fighting against the inevitable, it can do the same, right? So like the idea of both, I think is, Is always like, no matter what we talk about in any ideology or any segment of thought or section of life, it's always both. I want to talk for real quick before we wrap up about the sentient worldview. I think one of the, it's really one of the most life changing things that, that I've been able to experience in terms of ways of thinking is the way that uh, the sentient worldview categorizes sensing self. In sensing context, that is so significant because almost everything in our world that we do experience is in one of those two circles: either our self or our context. And knowing the difference, and um, also then addressing them appropriately based on what they are, I think is extremely interesting. How did how did that come to you? Was that something that was researched or the self and context, did that just fall naturally into the uh, into the paradigm of the sentient worldview?
0: So taking a half step back, one of the problems, I guess, that I'm trying to solve, both as a coach and as a consultant and the like, is really helping people manage their attention and helping them manage what it is that they pay attention to, uh, to ensure that it is actionable, right? If we see information out there or whatever, but we're not doing anything different. We're not behaving as a result uh, differently as a result of it. Um, I kind of think it's not worth anything to us, right? Mm-hmm. If we're not, if we can't do anything with it. So, um, you know, when it comes down to sensing self and sensing context, what I was really trying to establish there, and yeah, it was meant to be sort of comprehensive categories, but it's hoping to break down the different pieces of ourselves or the pieces of our context that we could pay attention to so that we can be very specific about which ones in the given situation are relevant right and so it's you know we just have all this information abundance and um if we're not really diligent i think in knowing what it is where where does we want to go and what information is relevant like what location or who we're currently connected with let's say from a social network standpoint or what resources we have direct or indirect access to right or ourselves where we sit uh morally or maybe what our current health status is like these are different things that depending on our goals are more or less relevant to us but i was trying to try i was trying to establish a fairly comprehensive list of things that might be relevant to us depending on the situation so at least you know it could give us a almost a checklist right of (laughs) you know based on all the things we see right now which which things should i remember to consider right? Um, and which things in this particular situation don't do me any good to pay attention to. And I think that really focuses our efforts and reduces waste, which is sort of uh, fundamental and core to uh, my you know, some of the things I value. But I think most people don't love the idea of waste. Um, we just all have different definitions of it, right? Absolutely. Like like
1: Sherlock thinks uh, thinks human emotion is waste, right? <laughs> you sure. watch the Sherlock show, right? It's a fascinating show if no one's watched it. Uh, great great series but like yeah sherlock holmes has this like uh the details of the the physical world are all that matter anything beyond that just clouds you and, and makes you weaker right you know so he would see that as waste whereas then if you turn on uh Turn on what is a lifetime turn on a lifetime movie you know what i mean (laughs) emotions is all that matters
0: (laughs) it's how does that character make me feel (laughs) precisely and and the, the lovely thing about right i guess this this worldview because it is process oriented and because it's it is um it's it uses mass customization which basically means that uh we each customize it to our own sets of values and morals and all that kind of stuff to suit us but it's largely all the same process right that we look at someone and we see them as um living the same process but with their own customized tweaks right um and Uh yeah it's different than what we might do but we don't see them as fundamentally different from us because of those differences we see them as the same as us but with different assumptions that's it that's it right there yeah right 100 percent. So, so I think that that change in perspective um, has a, a much greater opportunity to create unity, and not, not not blind unity. I'm not talking about any of that, but like uh, both unity at the, but at the same time, like pulling from these different perspectives, like you said, or to uh, two ends of the spectrum, it's unity in our appreciation for for diversity, right? Right. We we recognize that everyone is different, and that's great, and yet we're all the same. In how we live out our differences.
1: And so that's it. That's it. So so the sentient the sentient future channel in the episodes tab, it's all broken down in there, right? Everyone can pretty much hop to sentient future, dive down to episode one, and and they could literally just write out the, the framework of the of the worldview. And those those uh, episodes are short. They're most of them are five minutes, right? Or all of them are five minutes.
0: Yeah, the the early ones were a little bit longer, but yeah, I tried to, to keep everything else uh, after that five minutes to make the most use of your time. Now, um, I appreciate your mentioning where people can find that. I am in, continuing in the process of taking those, transcribing them, and creating blog posts of them, which will eventually become an ebook. So, depending on the nature and like your your timeline and stuff like that, uh, there may be uh, easier ways to not easier way ways that are more conducive to how you like. Uh, uh, you know, looking at content or, or um, mm-hmm. consuming content that are in the works that are coming. Um, awesome stuff. Yeah. So we
1: have, you're going to have the, the book, you'll have the blog, and, and you'll have the audio. So you're really kind of like going to, no matter how it is you like to learn or how you like to consume content, there's going to be a, a way to kind of open your mind to the sentient worldview and, and learn what that's all about
0: uh so so yes and again this is one of those things where um you know i'm not asking for people to 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 convert or like there's nothing to convert to it's, it's really a sort of a, a descriptive way of of thinking about uh you know life and and how it is that we live and you know my my goal really only ever is helping you live you know and anyone live more in line with what they value uh and spend their time more on what it is that they value and um exposing them to some strategies or some some tools and techniques to to actually do that from a very practical standpoint um and i found personally when i've done that for 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 myself like i am i am so fulfilled right now i feel i I feel amazing it it, i i can't (laughs) i can't overstate how good it feels to intentionally spend time on what it is that we care about absolutely And, and then of course i'm
1: definitely appreciative and i'm sure everyone listening to this is also that you're um that you're sharing that with us because it's, I, I see it to be a huge asset to the world. Uh, some of the, some, like I said, some of the highlights just being that idea of uh, sensing self and sensing context, the idea that, like you said, there's nothing to convert to. Um, it, it is a shell that you fill in, you know, it's a, it's like an outline and then you have to put all the details into it. And uh, I think that's what makes it extremely exciting. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it there, man, but I, I have one more question and you gotta try and answer it as, in as short as, a, as a way as you can. <laughs> but I have one tough one. It is the hard question. So you're a man of science with a, with a science background. You're also a bit of a philosopher. So one of the great questions out there that bridge those two worlds is which is it? Determinism, that is that all actions and, and happenings in the universe are predetermined or is it free will, uh, free will being that the agents of change are able to change the trajectory of the, uh, of the future of the world.
0: Yeah, I, I am a believer in free will.
1: Free will. Oh, that was good. So that was simple. It was straightforward. Cause you know, I, I struggled with it because I do understand that. Uh, I mean, it's obvious, right. Uh, that, Things happen as a, in a causal cause and effect relationship. Like now that someone's heard this uh, this uh, interview, they they're, they just got better, right? Because they got to hear you dissect more of the sentient worldview. But at the same time, you know, they could always turn it off in the middle, right? I don't know. I kind of think it's both. Is what I guess what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> and I, I don't know if if any of us has the the final answer on that. Um, but the question I would also raise too is. As interesting as it is to think about that, does that affect how we would behave, right? And so, huh. if um, if that information, as interesting as it is, isn't immediately relevant to what it is that we value, then uh, you know it's something that we can put aside and not regret doing so, and and you know focus on that which would uh, that which helps move our respective lives forward. So. That's it.
1: And that's, that's the practical right there. We just put an end cap on it. We just practically applied the sentient worldview into um a, a tough question uh, that that some people would spend a lot of time on thinking about. That's really cool. So anyway, really appreciate the time out. I'm super glad we got to do this and uh, I thank you to all the people that have listened to it. I hope you got a good bit from it. And of course, go back To episode one of of sentient future and listen through all those. It'll be a, it'll be a great use of your time and uh, you definitely going to get something out of it. So with that, my friend, I bid you adieu. I shall talk to you soon. All right.
0: Thank you so much, Greg. I really, really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, man. All right. Talk to you soon. We'll see you around the anchor app.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. I'll be here. Take care. Bye-bye. That
1: does it, folks. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I am so grateful that Alan to come on, and hopefully we can do it again. 30 minutes is not near enough. I had so much more I wanted to ask him about and get his insight on. Uh, the guy's a tremendous resource, and he makes himself extremely available to others. So make sure you hop over there. Check out his station favorite if you haven't already. And, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.